This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oklahoma is a top five football team. Notre Dame is not. And my goodness, what happened in Miami, Georgia Tech? We got to talk about it. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we have to recap last night's Saturday night games, a couple of thrillers. We did not expect them to be thrillers. And a couple of stompings, and we did not expect them to be stompings. And let's start with the first stomping that we did watch last night, which, you know, credit to Georgia. They beat Kentucky 51-13. to Goodness me. Number one, Georgia blows out number 20, Kentucky, 51-13. That's the headline here. I remember it being 34-7 at half, and I wondered whether or not Kirby Smart was actually going to step on the gas. Because remember, we had been asking, I had been asking, where the hell is this dominant Georgia football team that I'd seen for the last two years? So much so that the rankings, for me, reflected Michigan being a much more dominant team. They stomped out Minnesota, by the way, 52-10. to I mean, you name your number for Michigan right now, but... This was also the best game of Carson Beck's life against a Mark Stoops defense, which is no small thing. 28 to 35 for 389 with four TDs and a pick. But when you got Brock Bowers, who carries the mutant gene, feels like it should be a little bit easier for you to win football games. And that's really what separates great teams. Great teams have great playmakers, and Brock Bowers is one. This is the second game in a row where he's had 130 receiving yards and a TD. Now they needed him to show up against Auburn. They did not against Kentucky, and the defense for Georgia played like a Kirby Smart defense is expected to play. Ray Davis had gone for 280 yards on 26 carries against Florida the week before. This week, he was held to 59 total, uh, excuse me, 59 rush yards on 15 carries. Demonstrative for Georgia, but, you know, they still got some things to do, and I don't think it's the number one team in the country. I still think that's Michigan. Georgia's got to do some more for me to believe that they're dominant enough to be the first modern football team since integration at the very least to win three consecutive national championships. Let's go to number 25, Louisville. Stop it out. Number 10, Notre Dame, 33 to 20. Did not see this one on the bingo card in preseason. Did not see this one on the bingo card even a couple of weeks ago because I thought Notre Dame acquitted itself very well against Ohio State in a loss, 10 men or not. And then came back, went on the road, got a gutsy win against a great Duke team. Feels like, hey, all they got to do is take care of their business the rest of the way. 
they could probably slide into the college football playoff. But we did not expect the Brob Corp to show up in Louisville and absolutely throw down like their middle name is Muhammad Ali. Because them dudes came out and punched Notre Dame in the mouth, and Notre Dame had no answer. Now, this is also weird because Sam Hartman was the quarterback at Wake Forest last year, number 10 in the country. Louisville beats them. This year, he's quarterback at Notre Dame, number 10 in the country. Louisville beats them. But it's a little bit bigger than that because Sam Hartman also had been coming into this game really on a flyer. 145 straight passes without an interception. And then he threw two that mattered and one that didn't against this Louisville defense. But more than that, it's one thing to see that the offense isn't going well or even the passing game isn't going well for Notre Dame because you got Audric Estime back there. And you got, some, you got some tools, right? Chris Tyree dropped a pass that was in the bucket that I think would have gone for six. Maybe it changed the complexion of the game. People want to talk about him being a converted running back and going, hey, catching the football, still catching the football, all right? But to see a Jeff Brom team not just win, but put up 185 yards on the ground and 143 from one dude, I don't know what Al Golden's going to tell you that's going to make you feel better about the defense after that because Jeff Brom's teams throw the football. Quite a bit. That's how they win football games at Purdue, right? But in this game, he was able to ride Jawar Jordan all the way into an upset win against Notre Dame at home. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, maybe it was that everything was clicking for the offense. No, it was not. Jack Plummer did not look great by any stretch against the Notre Dame secondary. So you're just looking at these momentum switches and you're looking at a – Notre Dame team that we thought was real. And now you got to ask the question, is Louisville for real? Now we're going to get into the rankings a little bit later on, but they are 6-0. and And there's just five 6-0 and teams in the Power Five, one for each conference. And Louisville is that one that is 6-0, and right? Like I just, it's wild. Now the ACC is a little bit more loaded than people expected, myself included. But to get to 6-0 and in your first year, not knowing what to expect from Louisville, that's tremendous. Now, Louisville's schedule has also just got Duke left, right? They don't play Florida State this year, who's also undefeated. They don't play North Carolina this year, who's also undefeated. So Duke is the challenge left. So their schedule goes Pitt, their idol, then Duke, then Vautech, then Virginia, Miami, woof, and then Kentucky, right? So it's conceivable that they could show up to their conference championship game undefeated and playing for a spot in the college football playoff, which means that we're looking at maybe the best Louisville team we've seen in some years, certainly since Lamar Jackson was quarterback at Louisville. Then the late nightcap, Pac-12 after dark, the last one for USC at the Coliseum, and they decided to make it into a memorable one. Number nine, USC escapes Arizona 43-41 in three overtimes. Now, I live on Central Time, which means this game kicked at 9, 9.30 for me, okay? I'm already been up 8 a.m., you know, doing the damn thing. And I'm like, all right, USC, go ahead and put Arizona away so I can finish out my top 25 so we can get that up as soon as possible. And USC said no. <laughs> so this game goes three overtimes. It finishes at about 1.15 Central time, right? Or like 2 in the morning on the East Coast. Nobody, everybody who's a USC fan living on the East Coast is wrecked today. No sleep, nothing at all. And I see that they're saying they're 6-0, and but yeah, 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 you're 6-0, and and you're the only 6-0 and team in the Pac-12. My goodness, are you making USC fans ride the wave? Now, 
people are saying Caleb Williams showed that he's the Heisman winner in this game. Yes, he had the game winner. Yes, he had to put that offense on his back at times. But frankly, he got outplayed by the backup quarterback at Arizona. Noah Fafita went, what, 25 or 35 for 303 with five TDs and a pick. Five passing TDs, 300 yards passing against that Alex Grinch defense that I know USC fans love so much and that Oklahoma fans try to be like, we told you that's just the defense. Again, it's the backup at Arizona, and it's at the Coliseum. There's, there's no sh- stupidity over there in Tucson, right? No, no fluff over there in Tucson. You're at home. They lit the torch in the fourth quarter and everything, and you still managed to have – you could have won this game, and you can't even kick a field goal. And when you go to try to kick the field goal, it's like watching a toddler try to kick a field goal. It was just Keystone Cops out there. And the more this game went on, the more it felt like Arizona's going to find a way to win this. So, again, kudos to USC for surviving. But this is three straight games that they've had to survive now. You've given up 28 to Arizona State and 535 yards. You gave up 41 to Colorado and 498 yards. You gave up 41 to Arizona and 506 yards. Give it up 500 yards a game. And damn near 40 in, in, well, not damn near 40 because 28, 41, 41, but you get the point here. The point is that if you're a USC fan, you're going into the game going, you're going to, we're going to score 40. That's what's going to happen. We're going to score 40, but you have to actually ask the question, are we going to win? Yes. Oklahoma fans have been trying to tell USC fans, yes, you're going to win football games, but you ain't always going to like it. And everybody's like, a win is a win. Uh-huh, until you get to the college football playoff and LSU put 63 on your skull. Or you get to the college football playoff and you're up 31 to 14 with six seconds left to go in the first half of the Rose Bowl in a college football playoff game for a bid to a national championship. And your head coach decides to squib kick the ball to Tay Crowder. Tay Crowder drops dead on the 47-yard line of Oklahoma at the time. And changes the complexion of the football game that Georgia ends up winning. Again, a a game where Oklahoma put up 48 points and lost by a full touchdown. USC fans will know, oh, damn, Lincoln Riley squib kicked against Arizona, too. And let Arizona back in the game. (laughs) I'm trying to tell you, look, when you got Lincoln Riley coaching football team, you're going to win a lot. You are probably going to win a Pac-12 championship, maybe this year, if not a Big Ten championship down the line. Maybe make college football playoff, if not this year, down the line. But the defense is the defense. So buy the ticket, take the ride. Again, I be on your message boards, and I know a lot of Oklahoma fans be on your message boards trying to be like, hey, dog, we try to tell y'all that this is what it's going to be like. We thought y'all was lying. Nah. Nah, this is just what it's going to be like. Again, they're 6-0. and They're undefeated. But the way that you felt about Oklahoma in 2021 when they went to 9-0 and and then things fell apart, just gird your loins, SC fans. Because, again, you're only at the halfway point of this here ride, and you bought a whole ticket. Okay. They get Notre Dame next week, for which Big Noon is going to go, and I think that game's going to be a lot of fun. But certainly now – Notre Dame's playing spoiler, which I'm sure Notre Dame did not want to do against USC. They wanted to be playing for the college football playoff spot. But certainly if SC loses to Notre Dame, that's going to put a dent in their 
aspirations to get into the college football playoff, especially knowing that the winner of Oregon-Washington is going to feel like the front runner for the Pac-12, right? And that game ought to be outstanding. I'm looking forward to that one as well. USC's got Utah left, which is a good football team. Cal, nobody knows whether or not they're going to show up to play USC or not based on what they did against Oregon State last night. Washington, who's good. Oregon, who's good. UCLA, who I think is good. So you still got a ways to go here. And it's by no means an easy schedule. So you run through this. Yes, you will make the playoff. But will you will you give up 45 when you score 42? You know, it's one of those. USC will keep getting away with this. I know we say it, but I got to say it. They can't keep getting away with this. Yes, yes, they will. Yes, they will. Because they got Caleb Williams. They got Marshawn Lloyd. They got Brendan Rice. They got Dorian Singer. They got Taj Washington. Caleb Bullock. My goodness, play of plays. But again, that's the defense. Feast and famine. They're going to get sacks. They're going to get turnovers. They're going to give up 40. All right, Georgia Tech stunned number 17, Miami, 23-20. All right, so when I'm doing the top 25 late at night, I'm always trying to uh, shuffle it around and, you know, make some contingencies for, I don't know what happens if USC loses to Arizona. Where do I put them? in the ranking what happens if Miami loses Georgia Tech was not one that I was thinking I would have to go through and that game felt like okay Miami's gonna find a way here because you're watching the game you could see they're moving the football Don Payne had 106 rush yards on 24 carries Tyler Van Dyke threw for 288 and yet and still Georgia Tech was in the game until they weren't so with with the ball Miami, all they have to do, time running out, is take a knee. That's what they got to do. Take a knee, seal this victory. But Mario Cristobal chose to hand the ball to Don Payne Jr. Don Payne Jr. fumbled the football. And then Georgia Tech picked that up and went 44 yards in 25 seconds and stole a victory. Or as my daddy would say, Miami snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. So I went and looked at Mario Cristobal's post-game press conference to try to figure out what he was thinking because we all wanted to know what he was thinking. And what he was thinking was, hey, in hindsight, I should have told Tyler Van Dyke to take a knee. You think? And then he said, but we got to hold on to the football. And I'm going, hey, dog, look, first of all, that was Don Payne's only fumble. Number two, Don Payne played a hell of a football game. Number three, players win. Coaches lose, and this was clearly a mistake on Mario Cristobal's part. But kind of like Lincoln Riley in the squib kick, this ain't the first time that Mario Cristobal has made this egregious decision. All right? So I'm looking at this. 2018 Oregon and Stanford. Here's the setup. Oregon leads Stanford 31-28 to at home. So there's no crowd noise, right? All you got to do is take a knee and run out the clock. But instead of taking the knee, Mario Cristobal decided to hand the ball to C.J. Verdell on a second and two. C.J. Verdell put the ball on the ground. 51 seconds left for Stanford and the Cardinal. They go down the field. They get the win. So we're not even learning from our past mistakes, which, by the way, is what football coaches hate. Every football coach in America says, hey, make the mistake one time, but learn from it. Now we got Mario Cristobal making the same mistake five years apart and ruining 
an undefeated season for Miami. Not because the players didn't play well, not because Georgia Tech outplayed them, but because he made a coaching era. That's a tough, that's tough. That's tough, you're a Hurricanes fan. That's tough. But you know what? It's a Miami thing. Maybe I wouldn't understand. Isn't that what they say? Who? Miami. Who? Miami. So which gets me to the top 25 ranks here. I was a little bit more harsh in Mario Cristobal and Miami for how they lost that football game, but the AP was not so much, right? The AP's got them at 25. I knocked them out. Um, A&M ain't nobody, and that's who they beat. And then you're losing to a Georgia Tech team that we all know is not any good, okay? And losing to them wearing your Miami Night jerseys at home in Coral Gables. See, this is what happens when you just go to a private university and everybody wants to just take it out on you because this is, you know, Miami want to be a part. Miami want to be what they are. Georgia Tech go down there in engineering school and do the, do the damn thing. So I'm looking at the AP's top 25, and they're got Florida State at four, Oklahoma at five. I got Oklahoma at four and then Florida State at eight. But I think the story here is Oklahoma, who now has the best win of anybody in football, thanks in large part to Notre Dame, okay? So if you were here Saturday night, you heard me say, I thought Ohio State had the best win of anybody in the sport because they beat Notre Dame and South Bend. There are others that said Texas had the best win in the sport when they went to Alabama to beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. But because Notre Dame held that L last night from U of L, that win doesn't look so good for Ohio State anymore. And we know what kind of a team Texas is. So I decided to rank them accordingly. I think right now nobody has any guff with Oklahoma, not just the top five team, but as a team that is in position to secure another seat at the college football playoff. All they got to do is take care of their own business. But for Oklahoma fans, it's way different than 2021. It's way different than 2019. It's way different than 2018. And it's way different than 2017. Do you know why? I will tell you why. Because unlike USC, Oklahoma has an outstanding defense for the first time since I was literally in high school. I'm a grown-ass man. I own a house. I got advanced degrees. You know, I left the PhD program to do this job. That's how long it's been. Brent Venables got them dudes believing. Danny Stutzman, Jared Kennett, Rondell Bothroyd, Billy Bowman, Peyton Bowen, Gentry Williams, Woody Washington. Them dudes is for real. And I've said it, and you've heard it said. Everybody can score in the college football playoff. Everybody. Not everybody can stop people from scoring in the college football playoff. That is why we've always looked at that four spot and been like, oh, okay, it's best of the rest. But this year, where it feels like there's more parity, at least in the top 10, feels like Oklahoma could be about it in a year where Georgia isn't as good as they were, certainly in 2022 uh, and 2021. Michigan is Michigan, right? I think that is the only team that right now scares the hell out of everybody. But again, Oklahoma is in the spot that Oklahoma thought it was going to be in a couple years ago, but with a defense that can hold up this time. Dylan Gabriel answered the question. In winning time, he's about it, all right? I didn't know it for sure. I thought that Gabriel was the system quarterback that Levy needed, meaning that he knows the system and will run it well, but I didn't know he could do things like what Caleb Williams does at USC, which is, hey, this is not working. I got to go do it myself. 
He did that against Texas, which is the best defense that Oklahoma's going to see all year. And he had 285 passing yards and 113 rushing yards. It's not just that he's the first dude to do that at Oklahoma since Baker Mayfield in a, in a regular season. It's that he did it against Texas, and nobody has ever done that against Texas. Nobody has thrown for 250 and rushed for 100 against Texas. And this was his first and maybe only opportunity. He can come back next year, but, you know, if you NFL call and go. And they survived this block punt for a touchdown. They survived a missed field goal from Zach Schmidt. They show some heart toward the end. They got four downs inside the 10-yard line, and Oklahoma came up with stops. They turned over Texas three times, two interceptions, one absolutely outstanding hit from Peyton Bowen. Tawi Walker running into that end zone looking great. I just think that Oklahoma is more balanced than it has been basically since 2008, okay? And this is the most terrifying the defense has been since 2002. But it gets deeper than that. Check this out. Oklahoma's got 12 interceptions through six games. That is the most an Oklahoma defense has accounted for since winning the national championship in 2000. And that team was all defense. That team was so all defense that people remember Torrance Marshall went in there at coin flip, looked Chris Winkie dead in the eye and said, I came to get my boys Heisman back. That is who they got leading them now. Danny Stutzman got that energy. You've seen him with the gold hat and the shades and the cigar. Ethan Downs out there being an absolute terror as a married man with a family. Look here. I'm all in on Oklahoma. Like I said, if Oklahoma beat Texas, you're not going to be able to tell me a damn thing. You're not going to be able to tell me a damn thing. Now, Kansas is a good football team. They still got to get past them. And I think, at least through the middle, it's still the Big 12. It's still tough. Going to Provo, it's going to be different. Playing a Friday game against Texas Christian after Thanksgiving, that's going to be different. Way to thumb your nose at Oklahoma on its way out, Big 12, by the way. And then I go down a little bit further, and I see I've got Florida State at eight just because I don't think that Florida State's that good. I don't see what everybody else sees. I saw a team that could have beaten one LSU in the first half. They just held it together, right? And then they came on in the second half, and I think that's what people are betting on. When it's working for Florida State, they are one of the best offensive football teams in the country. And they got one of the best pass rushers in the country. But it ain't always working, right? Trey Benson went for 200 against Vitek, but Vitek ain't nobody. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to keep them in the top 10, and I don't expect them to slide as long as they keep winning football games. But they're going to face some challenges, at least in the ACC title game. We'll get to learn something about them because behind them, you'll find I. Louisville, 6-0 at 12, right? Jumped straight in there with that win against Notre Dame. UNC, 5-0 at 13. Drake May went for 442 pass yards, 50 yards rushing plus in their win. They get Tez Walker back, which was huge because that means you're dynamic on the outside again. Duke is still Duke, right? Riley Leonard's ready to go. That's a tough football team that plays great defense and really depends on the quarterback to be the offensive playmaker. Mike Elko got those dudes believing. So that's three teams that I think all could present a worthwhile challenge to Florida State. I just would have liked to have seen Louisville play Florida State this year in the regular season, or even UNC for that matter, but we're going to figure it out sooner or later. Ole Miss got a workmanlike win against Arkansas. It's pretty good. Oregon State put up 50, right, on Cal. I think they're still good. Utah, 
it's about Cam Rising for me. We still don't have a read on what that team is, and they still only just have the one loss with two ranked victories. Notre Dame is just Notre Dame at this point, right? There's no sense in belaboring that point, but I do think that if they get a win against SC, it bodes well for whatever you expect the Marcus Freeman era to look like because beating up on Caleb Williams will do a lot for their morale. It's not going to do much for their national championship hopes, but this is also a year in which I think it would have been great to have a 12-team playoff because Notre Dame would not have been out of this. Neither would LSU at two losses either. And you could have probably seen even Missouri or Kentucky play themselves back into contention. I got Maryland at 23. I think Kansas is a very good football team. And then Tennessee's idle, and that was basically Air Force or Tennessee. We'll see. But I'm not tied to Tennessee at 25. I'm back to the top 10 here, though, because it's really difficult to make the college football playoff as a 14 format if you're not ranked in the top 10. I think with 12-team playoff, all 25 of these teams got a, got a shot. But right now, the only team that nobody wants to play is the University of Michigan. You've seen enough of Georgia to say, oh, okay, cool. They're not infallible. And then I look at Florida State and go, yeah, I'd take them in round one. Or SC, and I, yeah, I would take them in round one. I think through the middle, though, from Ohio State to Washington, that's a toss-up. And I would have loved to have seen a, an expanded bracket for those teams to play because this would be the year to have it. And in other years where we've seen one dominant team, not so much, but I'm just, I lament that. Still, five, six, and O teams will probably get a, at least one or two more going into the week. Fascinating first half of the season, fascinating first act of the season, but that act in round one was dominated by the University of Colorado, which means we have now reached the portion of the number one college football show where we do RJ's favorite segment. What did Dion do? Okay, all right, not ashamed of that. I love talking about this team. Now, they needed to come from behind to beat Arizona State in Tempe. And they rallied to win 27 to 24. But that game was much more indicative of what those teams are about and how good they could be. Now, Arizona State can't go bowling, but it felt like if they got a win against Colorado, maybe they got a shot, outside shot at doing that. But also, Colorado still has got its deficiencies, right? I think it's the first game that we've seen from Shadur Sanders in a Colorado uniform where he didn't throw for 300 yards, went for 239. But each team gave up five sacks. Each team had at least eight penalties. Colorado ran for 56 yards. Arizona State ran for 57. Colorado, though, defense is still bad. Gave up 335 passing yards to the third-string quarterback in Trenton Borgett. Okay? If not for Alejandro Mata, we're probably not talking about Colorado getting a win. We're probably talking about Colorado going to three and three instead of four and two. And since we're here, I will add other four and two teams are Clemson, LSU. You know what I'm saying here? Hmm? Notre Dame. Okay. Hey, RJ, these teams would house Colorado. But did they? But did they? And the reason I'm really interested in this Colorado win is because Arizona State and Colorado both played USC very close which demonstrates the gap between really great teams, right? Or even good teams. Let's say USC is a good team and not a great team. is very small, right? Everybody's got their things they're working at. But right now, it's not working the way that Prime wants it to work. 
Now, we've talked about what the expectations are for this team now going forward. I think going bowling would be tremendous. They're up 400% on their win total from last year, right? If you're a Colorado fan, you're already winning. But getting two more wins gets them to bowl eligibility and getting them to a bowl game would just be the best bomb for this Colorado football team. And also a great jumping off point for their re-entry into the Big 12, let alone which one of these teams is going to be great uh, in Utah or Colorado when they join the Big 12, or even Arizona after what they pulled against USC or Arizona State, what they pulled against USC and Colorado. It's going to be very strong in the Big 12. But Prime ain't happy. And I've always thought it was interesting, not just what Prime is going to do when they're winning, but what he's going to do when it's not going as well as he wants it to go. And I got to see a glimpse of that in his post-game press conference following the win against Arizona State, where he had to keep apologizing for not being more elated about the win because, as he put it, they played like hot garbage. And he has yet to see them play a complete game of football. He's right about those things. He's being realistic about those things. He understands just how bad they are defensively, how bad they are running the football, and how bad they are at protecting their best, or excuse me, their most important player, and Shadour Sanders. Now, Shadour has done a great job of finding other guys to help him, whether it's Jimmy Horn Jr. or Xavier Weaver or Omarion Miller or even against Arizona State, Javon Antonio. But you got to be able to do more than throw the football to win football games, or so you would think. And they're going to face better competition here of late than this uh, Arizona State team, excuse me, that they beat up on. But I think the reason that he's pissed and the reason that you should really pay attention is Prime doesn't look at football the way that some of us look at it, as being extremely difficult to go win football games. You should be humble about winning football games. You should believe that, hey, it, anybody can lose. That's not who he has been as a player. Until now, it is not who he has been as a coach. He loves football for the same reason that I love doing this show. I'm the best at this. I can do this better than anybody on earth can do this. Or so the belief goes, right? The confidence goes. So when you see not hitting your own expectations for what greatness is, yeah, you're going to pull your own card. I make mistakes like everybody else. I'm sure Dion makes mistakes too. But to look at that team and to say, this is not our best and I don't want to be a part of mediocrity. Yeah, that makes sense. He left playing baseball where he played in a World Series because he was not great. Not because he's mediocre, but because he's not great. I love the quote. It is, hey, when I play football, you get neon Dion. You get prime time. You get one of the greatest football players to ever play the game. When he plays baseball, you get Dion. <laughs> Hitting the baseball, one of the hardest things to do in the entire world, where you can be successful 30% of the time and get into the Hall of Fame. Now, there are those of us that like being great at things and don't like to talk about things we're weak at, where we just lean into our strengths. We're not going to talk about or even dignify our weaknesses. And this now is one in which he has to identify and say, our defense is not any good. Okay? Or maybe it has not played as good as I know it can be. And those things can be great. Those things can be true. Same thing with the offensive line. But as this continues to go on, and as you see Colorado not dominating people and needing to come from behind to win football games and needing to get lucky like other football teams, we're going to continue to see Prime continue to take his team to task because he's not chasing bowl eligibility. He's not chasing a Pac-12 championship. He is chasing 
national championship. It is a man who showed up to the national championship game where Georgia thumped Texas Christian unlike any team has ever been bumped, thumped in a bowl game and said, we got to get here. And he said it as the head coach at Colorado. Now, I don't bet against men for which I share that sort of confidence in common because I want it more than you. And I think he wants it more than you. And as long as he or I want it more than you, yeah, bet on us like I'm betting on Prime. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. We will be back next Wednesday to preview the week's slate of games. USC Notre Dame is on tap. We've also got, goodness me, Washington, Oregon on tap. It's going to be outstanding. Our number one college football show leads the screening are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana puts the special in our special team. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. John Marcus is fighting on, sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler, uh, Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sideline and the play snap on my clap. We'll see y'all on Wednesday. Until then, stay low. Keep those feet grinding.